Well, welcome to Mill City again. My name is J.D. Larson. Uh, I'm the executive pastor of Mill City. Uh, I get to be a part of uh, making things happen that you as a church feel like God's asking us to do. And uh, it's a privilege. I kind of get to do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. So this, this move to Northeast Middle School has just been incredible for me to watch you as a community respond to this challenge, this invitation from God to do a new thing. And I, I'm just so encouraged by the people who stepped up to make this change. Uh, the crew team who normally gets the summer off is like, we'll do this, we'll come during the summer and set up. People who live close deciding just to walk here to help out. I'm just so encouraged and have so much confidence in our community that whatever God calls us to next, we will have the courage uh, to step into it and trust him uh, for what we get to do. So I feel like we need to just give a round of applause to the people who've kind of stepped up. Yeah. Now that we've applauded ourselves, uh, this sermon's on humility, so I'm going to go ahead and proceed. I thought that was a pretty good joke. I thought that was pretty good. No. Uh, let's uh, pray and start our new conversation that we're starting this week called Steps of Faith. God, we love you a lot. It's a privilege to be here together um, with people who um, this morning, God, just want to seek after your grace and your presence because uh, we've tasted and seen how it transforms us. Uh, God, you tell us that your grace is sufficient and your power is made perfect in our weakness. God, that's the posture that uh, we desire to have as we approach your word this morning to learn from you. And it's the posture we uh, desire to have towards you, Holy Spirit, as you teach us uh, through the text we're going to look at today and the things that we're going to bring to mind. So we ask you, God, to be present in this space and lead and guide our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as some of you may know, uh, my wife and I's house uh, got invaded by a toddler back in March. Uh, we had the privilege, yeah, it's very exciting. We had the privilege of starting an adoption process with a little one. Her name is Rosie, and uh, we have an adoption date set, so we're super excited to finalize that. And uh, when she came to us, she had just started to learn how to walk, so it was a really fun and terrifying time uh, to jump into parenting because we very quickly found out that our house wasn't completely uh, baby-proofed. Um, and if you've ever been in this phase with a young child, a niece or nephew or someone you know, like you know everybody's eyes are on that person when they're learning to walk because it's kind of like an intoxicated person or someone who just stepped off like a roller coaster or something. You're not sure if they're going to knock their head on the table. Um, I would say in general, I've just gotten a, a, a great appreciation for what it means to just take a step, what it means to put one foot in front of the other and move forward by watching her learn how to do this. And we're starting this sermon series this week called Steps of Faith. And maybe when you hear that sermon series title, you may conjure up kind of this idea of religion or faith, or the Christian faith being about stepping up or stepping up a ladder of maturity or something like that. And that is not at all the conversation we want to have. We want to have a conversation about stepping forward. Because really, the Christian faith isn't about stepping up or climbing some ladder. It's about trusting Jesus for the next step 
in every circumstance that we're in. So this sermon series, we're going to talk about some fundamental things about what it means for our community together to take steps of faith. We're going to talk about things like deciding to follow Jesus. We're going to talk about the practice of communion and baptism, covenant membership, and reconciliation with each other and with God. And the reason we're having the conversation about those things is we have a lot of different circumstances going on in our life as a church and our lives individually. And we want to kind of center ourselves back on these practices, these, these steps of faith, as you will, to, to have a conversation about what it would look like for us to recenter and step towards what God's doing. In the midst of this sermon series, we're going to kind of focus on the book of Ephesians. And this book is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a really young church um, as they were trying to learn what it's like to walk out their faith. In a way, they're, they're, they're trying to get their footing, if I'm going to keep rolling with the walking metaphors. Uh, they're trying to get their footing in, this, in circumstances that are really challenging, both for Paul and for um, the community itself. And uh, one uh, anchor for this sermon series, or a text that anchors the sermon series for us, that just kind of gives the ethos of what we hope will happen in the midst of this conversation is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And uh, it's a familiar passage to us at Mill City. It's, it's the key passage uh, that our covenant membership, kind of the core of our community, uh, focuses on on a regular basis. And I want to just read this, and, and I hope that you can receive it as a prayer for these next few weeks. Um, as we read the words of Paul, think about what it would look like for our own life for this to be true as a community and for your life individually. Let me just read this over us for the next few weeks. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom, uh, whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how deep and high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church, of, in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I feel like I just want to drop a mic after reading that. It's just so rich with meaning for our community. We want we want to center ourselves in this conversation back in God's love as we move forward. That's what we're talking about. So the first topic today we're going to talk about is deciding to follow Jesus. So there's been a lot of names for this uh, moment or step across history. Uh, becoming a believer, uh, following Jesus for the first time, becoming a Christian, being born again. It's kind of this collage of metaphors or ways of talking about deciding to follow Jesus. And one of the things that I think is kind of a hang-up when we've talked about this step of deciding to follow Jesus is that uh, often in the ways that we talk about it, it implies that it's a one-time thing that you do. And even though there is a moment where that journey, that relationship with Jesus starts, it implies like you've achieved it. You've made it. You've, 
you're you're done with the journey, and then it's kind of uh, done from there. And I, I I think of the analogy of my uh, relationship with Christian and my wife in marriage. If I were to think of my marriage in that way, if I were to think of like, well, July thirteenth, two thousand thirteen, or July yeah, July thirteenth, two thousand thirteen. <laughs> oh boy, that was close. Good thing she's not in the room. Don't tell her. Um, what was I even talking about? Marriage. So, I just freaked myself out. <laughs> Anniversary just happened. That was a close call. If I were to think of my marriage as something that's already been achieved, something that's already happened, a one-time thing that happened and now I don't have to worry about it anymore, or it's just a thing that happened in the past, one, Christian Ann would not appreciate that, but two, I wouldn't fully experience what it means to be in a marriage relationship. In our relationship with Jesus, deciding to follow Jesus is the same thing. And that goes for all of these steps of faith that we'll talk about these next few weeks. It's a, it's a one-time big step sometimes in someone's life, but it's something that we come back to all the time as a community. And particularly defi- deciding to follow Jesus is something we do every day of our lives. So what I want to do to explore this idea, this faith step of deciding to follow Jesus is look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And this is the same book, Paul writing to these people, and he writes this passage in Ephesians 2 to kind of remind them what this deciding to follow Jesus looks like in their everyday life and what it looked like when they decided to do it for the first time. So let's read through this and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul says this to those people. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live, and you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we, by ve- uh, we were by nature deserving wrath. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show, or he might show, the uh, incomparable riches of his grace, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So there's a lot in that text, isn't there? There's a lot of theological nuance, and if you want to grab coffee sometime and work through this in a deeper level, let's do it. But I only have a few more minutes here, so uh, call me sometime. There's theological nuance in this, but there's two simple things that Paul is trying to communicate to remind these people of what it meant to decide to follow Jesus. And I think Paul is fundamentally talking about a problem and a solution. A problem and solution. So the problem... If we were to sum it up in a word, we'd use the word sin. And immediately, if you're kind of 
like squirming in your seat or you have a trigger when it comes to sin because that word has been used to manipulate you in some way or you've had a bad experience with church, just, just press pause for a second. Let's look at a deeper level for this, at, at this. My understanding of a sin, just from a simple level, is it's the fundamental problem that we face as humans in our existence. I think of sin often as a sickness, or a, a sickness that plagues us. Previously, uh, when I've preached, I've talked about sin as a cycle of captivity that we find ourselves in. It's important to note that we are both victims of sin in our life, and uh, we uh, by extension or an experience of it, become perpetrators of sin ourselves. We are victimized by it and then turn around and hurt others and perpetuate the brokenness that sin entails in our life. Like I said, we are both victimized by it and responsible for it through the actions that come from its presence in our lives. It causes both personal and collective guilt. It's something that's outside of us that exists in the world and something that exists within us as well. And it's not just a human problem for us to deal with. There's spiritual forces of evil that are trying to perpetuate this problem in our world. It's both comprised of personal failure and systemic injustice. It's not one or the other, it's both. I've experienced this obviously in my own life, how sin plagues my life in a general sense. I, I walk the streets of my neighborhood, I have relationships with other and I can, others, and I can clearly see how sin has affected our world and things aren't right. That's clear for me to see. But I also look at my own life story and realize that I've made mistakes. I've made things that have prohibited me from relationship with, each, uh, with others and with God. Things that uh, disrupt things that I need forgiveness for, things that are just mistakes. This is one of the biggest problems in our world when it comes down to it fundamentally. This is what Paul talks about, I think, when he's using the metaphors of being dead in our transgressions. And uh, this word about deserving wrath, I think, just means that we, uh, we kind of suffer the consequences of what sin does to our life. And in and of ourselves, we, we, we don't deserve anything other than just to be succumbed by those consequences. Sin has a devastating effect on our everyday life and our being. Something needs to happen. This is a problem. And here's the thing. We are not the remedy to the problem. We are not the remedy to this problem. We uh, pursue often synthetic remedies like the pursuit of, of happiness, money, and pleasure, and those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but it's kind of like treating a cold. You can treat the symptoms, but the source still remains when we pursue those things. And they're good in and of themselves, but they don't remedy the core problem in our lives. I think I've reached a place in my life that I resonate a lot with the 12 steps and the first step in particular when it comes to sin in the world and in my own life. And I find myself proclaiming all the time, as they do in that program, I am powerless to change. And that it's inevitable in my life that my life will become unmanageable when I try to manage my own sin. So part one is Paul talking about this, severe, this problem that exists. And part two is talking about the solution. The most important uh, word or two in that passage to me is the conjunction, but. But God. But God did something about this. 
God had every right to let us succumb to the sin and its effects on our world and our life, but he wouldn't stand idly by. He had to do something about it. Just listen to this. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich, who was flush with mercy, made us alive as opposed to dead in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace, by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up to be with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ in order that in the coming age we might show this richness of grace to the world expressing his kindness through Jesus Christ. And then it says this phrase that has been repeated over and over and over again in Christian history, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. So what is the solution to the problem? Jesus, in a sense, but it's really grace. Grace is kind of the objective thing we receive that solves the problem of sin in our lives. We receive grace. If I were to give a definition of grace, I would say radical inclusion and acceptance. You see this all over Jesus' ministry. Jesus, like 40% of the time, I can throw out that stat, I guess, just randomly. I want to just say 40. Someone can correct me later. 40% of the time or more is healing someone in the stories of the gospel. Why is he doing that? I mean, it's nice to heal someone and redeem that life. That's a good thing to do. But I think he's demonstrating every time he heals someone, uh, uh, grace. It's a symbol of grace in our lives that people who are stuck in this cycle, this illness of sin in a way, get redeemed, get healed by grace, and then get radically included. Jesus always follows up a healing with, come hang out with me. Come follow me. Come walk in the steps that I'm walking. This is the rhythm of grace. What God does about the problem of sin is come in to our lives and says, I accept you. You are deeply loved by me, no matter what you've done. No matter the brokenness in the world, you can come and be a part of what I'm doing. And that act of offering that grace saves us. It heals us. It frees us up from the bondage of sin to be freely ourselves, our truest selves. And it helps us to work in the world with Jesus to make the world its truest self. Deciding to follow Jesus is about receiving God's grace. I don't know about you, but I'm really bad at receiving gifts. Anybody else really bad at receiving gifts? Trevor, nice, big hand. I just, like, I get awkward. I'm like, oh, even if I like the thing, I, like, it can't handle my emotional situation or something. And this happened to me, uh, we had some neighbors move into our neighborhood, and we wanted to get to know them, so we both liked, uh, we're kind of foodies, so we go out to eat every once in a while. And for like the first six times we went out, they would not let us pay. And it made me very uncomfortable. I was like, no, 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 let, let me cover the tip. Uh, let me do yard work or something. I don't know. And I just felt deep inside of me this strong desire to achieve or pay back, or do something to merit that gift that was given me. And here's the thing about grace. You can't do that. You can't do that. It's the hard thing about deciding to follow Jesus, and it's the most beautiful thing about following Jesus. You can't do anything to deserve this gift of grace. It's given to you. We are saved by grace through faith. 
And faith simply means just accepting the gift of grace that's already been given you by moving towards Jesus in your life. I feel like oftentimes I spend most of my Christian life trying to achieve the things that God has already promised and given me. When he's trying to tell me, hey, J.D., just receive my grace today. That's what it means to follow me. Paul continues in this passage and he says, and it is through grace, or grace through faith is not from yourselves. He goes out of his way to point this out. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that anyone can boast about it. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for us to do. And this, I think Paul is just uh, reiterating my struggle with not being able to receive. And he's confronting what I would call uh, the heresy of self-sufficiency. And that's what's going on when we don't accept grace or when we have trouble accepting grace. Somehow in the Christian context and even in this community, sometimes we get our, in our mind that we have to do things to earn acceptance here. We have to do things to earn grace. If you ever start to hear in your mind's voice that, man, if, if I don't do something, if I'm not talking to my neighbors enough, if I'm not sharing my faith, if I'm not reading my Bible, I'm really not getting this thing. That's wrong. That's the heresy of self-sufficiency creeping in and telling you that there's some separation between God and you because you're not achieving something. And that's not what this is. God has extended grace to you. Also, I think Paul's bringing this up because if we live and walk in grace in the reality that we were broken people and God offered a free gift to us, it changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way we look at one another. Instead of looking at one another out of fear, like, are they going to diminish my ability to achieve something? Or do I have to be afraid for, for them? What would it be like for us to have the fundamental understanding that we're broken people that received, have received God's grace and can extend that same grace to other people? It helps us be honest with ourselves. It helps us le- uh, live the most truest, uh, honest life that we can been reading this book recently, The Ragamuffin Gospel. I read it a while ago, but Brendan Manning, the author, author, so beautifully articulates, I think, this honesty that I'm trying to articulate here. He says this. I just want to read a couple quotes from his book. He says, when I get honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe, I doubt, I hope, and then get discouraged. I love, I hate, I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling, or I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and I'm suspicious. I'm honest and I'm still playing games. Aristotle said I'm a rational human. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. Words, not mine. Get this. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace actually means in my life. As Thomas Merton uh, put it, a saint is not uh, someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. He goes on to say this, uh, and I think this really should stick in our brain as to what it means to walk, take the step of faith of following Jesus and living in his grace. He says, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And I have done nothing to deserve it. 
just pause for a moment and imagine how your life would change on a day-to-day level if that's the self-understanding you carried into your day. If that's the way that you approached others. Having this deep awareness that you're deeply loved by God and there's nothing you've done to deserve it or earn it. I know that it definitely changes my life when I have that posture. I am my greatest cricket. (laughs) Oh boy. I am my greatest critic. There are some crickets at my house, but I am my greatest critic, and I'm always in the mode of trying to achieve things that God's already given me. I'm always sizing myself up to others in the room. I'm always feeling like I have to live up to things. Brandon Manning says this. He says, never confuse your self-perception. No, no, never confuse your perception of yourself with the mystery that you're really, truly, deeply accepted by Jesus. Never confuse the perception of yourself with the mystery and the truth that you're really, truly, deeply accepted by Jesus. When we decide to follow Jesus, that's the life that we're deciding to live out. That's the step that we're taking. Every step that we're talking about in this sermon series is really a step of grace. It's not a step of achievement. Communion is not something to be achieved. Baptism is not something to be achieved. It's a way of experiencing the grace that God has extended to us. Over time, when we walk into these steps of grace and faith in Jesus, he saves us. He saves us from the brokenness of the world and in our own lives. He heals us and our world. We step into these rhythms of grace with Jesus, and he changes our life. He makes us fully who God created us to be. I don't know that I've ever experienced this more than... um, in parenting, this achieving thing, like I instantly feel like I should be the best parent in the world, and I'm not. And I, I strive so hard to achieve something there. And it's really hard for me to sit back and just say, I'm accepted by God. And then when I do that, I have that posture towards my daughter, and it changes the situation. It changes the way that I approach her in relationship. I want to conclude um, with this passage, words um, from the mouth of Jesus. And if the communion servers want to come up, if the band wants to come up, I'm going to get ready to transition to that. Jesus and Matthew uh, stopped, paused, and said to his disciples and to the people following him, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and, I will f- and, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the translation that uh, Eugene Peterson has of this, because um, I think trying to achieve God's grace gets us really tired and burnt out and defensive. And Eugene Peterson translates Jesus' words in Matthew this way. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, get this, unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I think that's what it means to take steps of faith in every day in our life. And deciding to follow Jesus is deciding to pursue that life with him. We're going to celebrate communion. I don't know a better way to decide to follow Jesus or decide to follow Jesus again. This is something we do every week at Mill City, and it's a way for us to receive God's grace together. So if you're here this morning and you've been investigating this following Jesus thing and been apprehensive, or maybe you have been really hurt by the Christian faith, but you're coming back and you're intrigued by it, and you've never had this moment, the starting moment of deciding to follow Jesus, you can participate in this as a way of starting that relationship. You come forward, and we have bread that symbolizes God's body broken for you in Jesus, and blood shed for you, because he loved you so much. To te- he went to great lakes to tell you that you're accepted and loved. There'll be people along the sides of the wall if you want to talk and pray with them about this decision, but I'd encourage you, if you've been trying to achieve goodness, if you've been trying to achieve, trying to fix yourself and your life, Try this. Jesus is extending his hand and saying, come, receive the grace I have for you. It'll change your life. For those of us who've made that decision and try to make it every day, let this be a fresh reminder that this is about God's grace, not what we can achieve. Let's pray, and the, bad, the band's going to lead us in song. God, we love you. God, we want to experience through this practice of communion uh, your grace. God, whatever we've been trying to achieve, God, if we're super tired, would you just help us let that go in this moment and have a moment just with you where we're receiving your love and your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen.